You were right. Yes, but I can't agree with you. Why should we draw some arbitrary line and rule out whole areas of investigation? Precisely because the world is full of enemies, looking for any way they can to discredit us. And the moment they see us abandon the firm ground of sexual theory to wallow in the black mud of superstition, they will pounce. As far as I'm concerned, even to raise these subjects is professional suicide. Hello, listening people. Hello. Hi, Bartek. How Hi. are you? Hi, Ryan. Good. How are you? Oh, you want to speak at the same time as me? Sorry, what? You want, you want to, to speak, speak at the, the same time, time as, as me? me? <laughs> <laughs> I like Picard. Oh, okay, you're done. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to project onto me that I like Star Trek Picard. Yeah, Don't yeah, you fucking you... lie. <laughs> if I'm, you yeah. get the fuck out if of If I was going to predict something you, you said, know, it should have been something we that you were actually spit, believed. We were spitting polish. Now I am just spitting polish presents with guest Bartek. <laughs> Formerly because we were both always spitting and both polish. Now it is I am always spitting and I am polish. And Bartek also happens to be those things as well in the same room as me. Yeah. How fucking dare you we've... i think we'll have to psychoanalyze your projection there yeah we've... maybe it comes down to a sexual impulse or compulsion within you i don't know we'll have to sit around the the, the table of microphones here and talk about it endlessly for scenes and scenes and scenes and scenes uh we are doing pictures pictures powell <laughs> you want to tell them what we're doing <laughs> I was trying to do the thing where I was speaking the same time as you, but I couldn't predict what you were going to say next. I'm, you know what? I'll Until make then. it. <laughs> yeah, I'll make it very easy for you. My name, my name is, is my idiot. Name... <laughs> oh, whoops! <laughs> <laughs> you were going to go that way. I was, I was just going to go with Slim Shady, but they're both the same thing. So, Bartek, what's our show, and what are we talking about this week? Uh, the overall show is Spit and Polish, and the specific show is Pictures Powwow. Pictures Powwow is the show we do every week. Where, well, most weeks. Took a break two weeks ago. Uh, most... Unexpectedly. Yeah. Thanks government to... mandate. Thanks to the government. The damn government. Yes, this is the podcast where we criticise the government when they do uh, quick things. Uh, no, it's not. We talk about a movie every week, which has come recommended from either myself, yourself, or listening people's self. Yeah, the listening people being you, the people who are listening. See, it all adds up, and we have a recommendation this episode by one of our listening people, a good friend of the show and commenter on our social medias, Alex Fleming, recommended uh, the... What year was this film? I believe it was 2011. I was going to say 2011 film, A Dangerous Method, directed by David Cronenberg, starring... uh, uh, Michael Fassbender, Kira Knightley, and Viggo Mortensen, and a few other little people here and there, but mainly those three. Uh, if you have not seen this film, watch it, because we are going to spoil it. We're going to talk about it. I mean, this is a true story-ish type of deal, so these are, like, events that happen in the real world, but still, talking about the film, and if you have not seen it and you want to see it or have any interest in it, it yeah, definitely watch it. Uh, Bartek, what would you say is the synopsis of this? For those who are still listening and may or may not know what this is and may want to see it. Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's a good question. Uh, I guess the synopsis... I well, wasn't an insult, but... <laughs> you know, you know, how do you define this? <laughs> um, so this film is based on the, I guess earlier to middle years of Carl Jung, mm-hmm. uh, his career, um, around the time when Sigmund Freud and, 
I forget Kira Knightley's character's name. Yeah, with S. Yeah. Uh, Russian girl. Uh, when he is developing his psychoanalysis method and mm-hmm. the uh, ideological struggles he has with uh, Sigmund Freud and the the Russian girl. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just basically trying to sort everything out in his head. Yeah, Carl Jung being one of the most famous psychologists, uh, psychologists, yeah. and yeah, people in the field of psychology. Obviously, most people think of Freud because Freud uh, obviously made big leaps and bounds and stuff, and uh, marketed himself very well. And uh, even though Freud stuff is a little bit old hat nowadays, it is not to say that he do- has hadn't made his mark, but definitely. Jung is someone people do know, but I would say I genuinely didn't know of him until more recent years as yeah, a I, proper name, I did a, like a thing. I did a fair bit of psychology in VCE, the mm. last two years of high school, and I did one unit in university, so I have some psychological knowledge. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I knew of them both, but definitely Freud is just a lot more prominent in you know media and pop culture. You know, Yeah, Freudian. Freudian, yeah, it's... You've probably heard of Freudian things like that. It's all based around the idea of, you know, everything can lead back to a desire for sex or sexual reasons. This is an odd question, and it it will never happen to either of us. But even the director of this film has this. Do you think you would be comfortable if you were known for a certain thing, and they described it as your name, Ian? Like, Freudian... David Cronenbergian, like we've definitely heard Cro- Cronenbergian, right? Or like Cronenbergian, you know, like that kind of. I mean, it would... would you want that? Is that a thing that you think is cool? Like, it will never happen to us, but do you want to be known as like? Oh, it was a very Bartekian move. Oh well, you see, Ryan, Freud is the last name, so it would be Kaspershakian, <laughs> and then that makes it po- push out of being Polish at that point. <laughs> uh, yes, Lewinskian, yeah. I don't know. I think about it weirdly when I watch if, movies with this kind of director and then they're covering was, these type of subjects. If it was something I'm passionate about and want to like put out there as a thing that people research, yes. But if it's because like I'm a huge fuck up and the adjective becomes like, oh, you fucked up like a cusp and the cusp <laughs> guy, rather than you know, oh, you're you're as smart as the Freudian guy. Maybe then it would be a bit insulting. But yeah. the word itself, cusp is. Funny. But even with Freudian, sometimes it's used in an insulting term, like obviously Freudian slip, you know, like, you know, but we're talking, let's talk about the movie. David Cronenberg directed this Cronenbergian. When, when you think of Cronenberg as a name, yeah, what type of images and movies pop into your brain when you hear Cronenberg? So the only Cronenberg film that I'd seen prior to this was Shivers from that one university class we did. Mm, his in, first film. In university. Was it his first film? I think it was his first, or at least big, one of his big feature films it was, that did yeah, it was somewhat definitely, well. Definitely one of his earliest films. Yeah. Um, so because I'd only seen that one, I kind of had him in my head as being, you know, a sort of kind of David Lynch guy where mm. he would do something a bit more you know trippy abstract um with underlying elements of like horror yeah yeah so i was thinking like again i jumped at this film blind i didn't know it was about jung and freud 
Yeah. But, so when I realized it was, I'm like, oh, well, I have some knowledge of this. Yeah. Um, yeah. So y- you, the underlying horror and the abstract is the two things that I would bring up based on what little I know. Body horror? Yeah. He's body the horror, body horror yeah. guy, right? That's, yeah. uh, that's what I was thinking of. Uh, I like Cronenberg a lot as a filmmaker, and it is one of those things where even though I've seen a good portion of his films that aren't horror and aren't body horror things or or your typical Cronenberg affair, it is still hard to remove oneself from that because he he was a very large, prolific horror filmmaker who, yes, he has a very artistic flair. Like, he definitely made the, the, the kind of horror of the movies he's exploring the body gross fleshy stuff like in movies like Videodrome and and The Fly and all that have a uh, very um, deep metaphorical thing going on it wasn't just like oh Cronenberg's movies are like gruesome violence it's always poetic always atmospheric and always there's something being said in his movies definitely for sure they he brought the art to the gruesome flesh that he would then rip apart on the screen, um, which is always entertaining. But this, he does films like this, where it's like he is just a normal film, yeah, a biopic. period piece drama. Like he did um, Eastern Promises with Viggo Mortensen as well, which is more of like a more of a crime movie. So he and he also did Cosmopolis, that movie where Robert Pattinson is just in the back of a limousine for most of the movie, and it's just like people come to him and interact with him, and it's like infamously one of those films where you think it's the most boring, pretentious piece of shit ever made, or it's genius. And Paul Giamatti's in it, so mm. maybe one day we'll cover it. We but, should. It sounds interesting. <laughs> um, it's definitely something. It's one of those movies where I don't know what my opinion of it is because also it was at the time where people looked at it and said, oh, Robert Pattinson. Now we go, ah, Robert Pattinson. Oh, so this huh? was shortly after Twilight. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This was, like, in there. This was, like, in there. Oh, right. So, um, definitely in it when we were still criticizing Robert Pattinson for being the guy from Twilight, which is still prominent now, but it's less so. Uh, so I was used to this from him. So I saw A Dangerous Method a couple of years ago just randomly, um... That's kind of how I approach Michael Fassbender movies as well. They just happen to me. It's not like I seek them out necessarily going, ooh, Michael Fassbender. Ooh, I love that actor. I do. I think he's a great actor, but I don't go out and be like, wait, I just saw shame. I just saw a dangerous method. And I just went, oh, this guy's really good. Like, I remember him, my first encounter with him was Inglorious Bastards, like it was for many people, perhaps. But, uh, yeah, and then I realized after watching it, oh, that was a Cronenberg movie? Yeah, yeah, I could see that, because there's a definite uh, dry, underlying atmosphere to this movie. But it isn't as overbearing as some of his other affair. And I mentioned a couple of episodes ago, I was struggling to remember the name of the movie Dead Ringers, which is the one about the two Jeremy Irons, they're twins, and they're, like, gynecologists and stuff. Yeah, is that and, a Cronenberg? Yeah, it's a Cronenberg one, and that one definitely has some horrific elements to it. There's a lot more there, but, yeah, it kind of... When I watch this movie, where it's, like, a bunch of people in suits being very polite and speaking eloquent things, and there's just, like, this underlying fucked-up nature to all of this, it did make me think of Dead Ringers in a lot of ways, although I think Dead Ringers is a much better movie. Um... So I saw this, and I remembered being very impressed by it. I was like, oh, wow, I didn't know this. I didn't really know this story and these, like, uh, how Freud was kind of 
rejected by other peers at the time because I'm used to now people being like, Freud, that old fucker, he was like a crazy man whose methods are like outdated beyond belief. But before that kind of turn, I always took it as, oh, everyone revered Freud as a genius and like loved everything he did and was like, he's infallible, which is obviously incorrect. That's not how the world works. But I didn't know that there was a story of another peer, someone just as equal as him, didn't really agree with his methodologies and had their own viewpoints, which are now considered to be the more apt way at looking at things. Mm-hmm. Um, you said you were a little bit more familiar with the story of A Dangerous Method? Uh, not so much the story as is presented people. here, but yeah, the the people themselves. Like, I knew Jung is the, oh yeah, psychoanalysis, uh, uh Collect- collective unconsciousness. Yeah. Freud, obviously, all the, the sexual stuff. And there were, like, little bits here mentioning, like, oh, yes, yes, she's in the anal stage of development, yeah. things like that. Um, the id, the ego, and, superego. And uh, one thing that I was impressed by was that this film acknowledged kind of <laughs> the... This was something that was established to me very early in me doing psychology classes mm. at high school. The insecurity part of the whole profession yeah because psychology is a you know branch of science yeah but it's the branch of science that gets criticized a lot because a lot of the other branches of science have you know uh, data and data more empirical evidence that can be analyzed whereas with psychology it's a lot more qualitative than quantitative yes and there's just this really big debate about like is this really a science and i remember in the university class i did they talked about how this is probably something you haven't thought about much since you've left university but do you remember referencing styles yes psychology the field of psychology invented its own like referencing style which i think officially was meant to make them look a bit more fancy. Yeah, a bit Co- more professional. I think it's called APA. And I remember my friend, uh, Stephen, who we had on for the Tekken episode a few years ago, he did a business degree. And apparently for that degree, they had to use that psychology referencing style. And I'm like, wow. how far has this spread? It's it's really bizarre. So had you seen this movie before? No, I don't think I'd even heard of it. So when it started to unfold, and like you said just a moment ago, oh, well, it's Freud and Jung and all of this, and Cronenberg. Mm. Like, okay, it's not going to be like a horror movie. It's not yeah. going to be like Jung is going to grab out like a tentacle yeah, a few... and like throw it at him, which would have been amazing. <laughs> but yeah, a few minutes into the film, when he introduced himself as Carl Jung, I'm like, oh, okay, so it's going to be like a psychology film. And I remember you mentioned that this is you know combo with last week. It's based on real story. So yeah. So um, what did you think of the film? It was interesting is going to be a key word that I'm going to say in this episode. It was one of these films where things happen and I was like, oh, that's interesting. So where's this going? And it just seemed to kind of be that level of reaction for the whole film. And then it just ends. But he looked mortified. So it was dramatic. Yeah. It's it's one of those things where like, oh, it was this- a Godfather 2 ending. Yeah, really it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a film that... Again, a lot of the things that it mentioned were things that I recognized from classes that I took forever ago. Mm. Um, the, the performances were good. There's nothing that I'm like, oh man, that was shit. But yeah, they were amazing. Yeah. Everyone was great. Yeah, it was great. But Kira Knightley is probably the one with the most contention there for people. Obviously, we'll talk about her performance. It's one of those ones where you're either on board for it or that you're not, because mm. it is definitely 
choices are made. Yeah, she's definitely the most animated character. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so it, it was a film that it, it's interesting, it's intriguing, the performances are good, but in the end, it's like, did I really, enjoy, did I, do I love this film? Did I, would I recommend it to people? It, it's, mm. it's not one that I'm very enthusiastic about. What did you get out of the film? When it was all said and done, what did you walk away with? Yeah, so when you asked me about the synopsis and I said, that's a good question, that's kind of what I was alluding to. It was, yeah. I guess it's it's the story of these two guys' relationship. Well, but there's also a third character. So mm. the, the relationships that Carl Jung had with other psychologists during his earlier years, I think it was like all in the 1910s, right? Yeah, yeah. All during the 1910s, maybe early 1920s. Mm. Um, because again, I, I knew a lot of the, the, the works that they did and, and uh, you know, the theories behind them, not so much their personal lives. So I didn't even really yeah. know if Jung had ever met Freud or anything like that. Yeah. This is one of those interesting films. I loved it the first time I saw it. I, I didn't know the stories. I didn't know really much about these real-life figures. I, you know, I knew Freud in certain ways, and it was great to see his performance. I think he's still really well portrayed in this movie. I thought he was very well acted, but also well-written and well-defined character. I thought his function in the movie still held up really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though I have some comments about that that may um, go against that, but I still feel like, yes, uh, yeah, I get it. But uh, upon the rewatch, I didn't enjoy this film as much. I felt very similar to you, where it's like, I was intellectually looking at this film going, eh, yes, that's an interesting discussion between uh, people about their philosophies in this scene, and then, no, oh, the next scene is with furthering that with a different viewpoint, or maybe it's a new philosophy statement that we're going to be talking about. Ooh, intellectual. And it felt like a series of different debates and lectures strung together until the film decided it was going to end. And I thought the filmmaking was good, but it wasn't anything spectacular. It was very standard shot, reverse shot. Camera is still locked into place. No real um, fancy movements or lots, any real movement of the camera, which is not necessarily what is needed. But with a film that is also very dialogue centric, um, just having the camera just be still can be a little um, tiring because I'm just like, okay, they're talking. Okay, with the camera's still, and what they're talking about is so academic in nature that it can also be a little isolating. But David David Cronenberg's films are very isolating a lot of the time. You do have this sense of detachment when you watch his films sometimes. So I was familiar with that aspect of his filmography, but... It just didn't work for me in this because I didn't care about a single person in this film. I didn't care about anyone. I thought they all had interesting points of view, and they all were interesting people, but I I didn't care about them at all, and I found the movie... Even... It's weird... I think the movie is slow and methodical, but I didn't. I can't say that I found the pacing of it to be too slow and boring. I thought it was paced really well. Like by the time it ended, I was like, "Oh, it's ended." 
So that's for me. I didn't think like I didn't think there was any scenes that dragged out too long, but it's the content of the scenes. Yeah. That were the things that were bogging me down. You you guys gave a little like about the scenes not going on too long and I'm sure we could talk about that. For me yes. it was the pacing of the scenes were fine, but it was the material, the content in those scenes that I found myself going okay, we've had many great conversations between these characters, but, like, where's the story? And then you think the story comes up when he sleeps with Kira Knightley, and then that starts happening. You go, oh, this is oh, this is the story. And then that kind of goes away. It's back to theoretical conversations about the human psyche again. And you're like, oh, okay, I thought now we're going to actually explore with actions, with him sleeping with a patient, yeah. these things in practice and them actually physically happening. And we do, but not as much as I expect. It's there, like, oh, she'll go crazy again and she has mental breakdown when he starts fucking with her again and, like, and she cuts his face and all that. But then it'll just be like, Freud wrote him a letter again. Another fucking Freud letter, you know? That is where my frustrations lie with this movie. And a big one I have too is I think all the performances are great. So they're great, but that didn't mean that I didn't... Like, I didn't care about Jung. He was the one I actually didn't care about the most. Out of the three central characters, he was the one that I found the least interesting. I don't know if you agree with that sentiment or not. Even in spite of his great performance, I was sitting there going, yeah, I guess. Uh, he was the one that I was the least fascinated with. Uh, yeah, I wasn't really ranking them in my head, but now that you mention it, yeah, he, he was kind of the least interesting one. He, he, he felt like a character who... I mean, he was our main character, so this yeah. comes with the territory, but he, he was... He was working things out the whole movie. Yeah. And I don't really know if he ended with any sort of, like, satisfactory conclusion or even realisation about... Well, it's a tragedy story, you see. It was about his downfall. See, while people like Freud and Kira Knightley are rising and succeeding, he is falling into despair, even though he, out of the three of them, is supposed to be the most intellectual and respectable person. Yeah, well, and, and... And the one with it together the most, he's actually the one who's falling apart. Yeah, and, and jumping to the very, very ending, when you know, yeah. we did the Godfather 2 thing, and then we had the where-are-they-now-style ending. Yeah, the epilogue. His, his paragraph almost seemed like it was, like, the happy ending paragraph. Would... Before we actually get into this, let's yeah. talk about the filmmaking and the story kind of telling... You kind of had a groan about what I said about the pacing of the film and scenes going on. I didn't feel that scenes went on too long. I just felt like the content within them. What do you think about that? Do you disagree with that statement? Did scenes go on too long for you? Or do you see what I'm kind of talking about? The the part where you said scenes went on too long, my laugh was because the case for me at times felt the exact opposite. Yeah. This film had a bunch of scenes that felt like 15 to 20 seconds long. Right. Too long. Yeah. Yeah. Too, way, way too short. And it feels like oh, they only short. existed to link to the next 
you know, decently long scene. Right. So oh, you, yes, yes. So you would have a scene, yeah, so you'd, like, have a scene at the dinner table where, you know, he's eating, he's talking to his wife, his wife mentions something, and that's the end of the scene. Right. Things like that. There, I felt like towards the second half of the film, there were just so many of those, and it felt... You know how this film is a, technically a biopic? Yeah. I felt like scenes like those really, really highlighted the fact that this is a biopic and just gave it this, like, oh, this is the reason this exists is because it needs to link to the major parts of the story. There was a definite artificial nature to the film that I'm not talking about in terms of this was successful, but phony. There were... I hate it. I hate this in movies so much how phony it is but there's a great moment right where it's like okay he's finally fallen into his bad behaviors and he's fucking Kieran Knightley cut to quick scene that you're talking about where his wife just goes you're a good man you're such a good man and I'm just like hey Cronenberg how about you have just uh why don't you just get Michael Fassbender to look into the camera and just have some dramatic irony music play like fucking curb your enthusiasm music while you're at it we get it the dramatic irony He's a good man, but he's not doing good man things. It was like a little bit too on the nose with lots of that. and Like affair. Here's the boat you always wanted. Should we be doing the affair? Yeah, let's fuck on the boat that my wife gave me. You know, like, <laughs> you know, like immediately. And I got frustrated with that kind of thing. Like, I guess when I'm thinking about it, yeah, there were those little short little scenes that you're talking about that are like a few seconds long and you're like, okay, it's just connective tissue. But I also found them to be I guess I kind of forgot about them because I do think of the big scenes in which it's just mm. two people just talking about <laughs> the practice of psychology and I'm like uh, that's what I remember more and I remember those scenes being paced really well but I'm just like okay would I get more enjoyment out of this if I was at all interested in the field of psychology which again what does that say about the storytelling in this movie because I've watched many movies that I'm unfamiliar with the world of, but I am still engrossed in it. And I was thinking a lot while watching it, but it wasn't. I wasn't engaged still fully. I was still detached. And like I said, Cronenberg likes you having detached, but I don't. I don't know if it was beneficial to to this movie, considering how cold and standoffish the world and the people within it already are. Yeah, the, the film has a recurring conversation, a recurring discourse thing about, you know, the the methods of Jung versus the methods of Freud. And, mm. you know, our Kira Knightley character is someone who, in a way, is trying to, you know, bridge the gap between those two while leaning towards Freud. Mm. And... Again, because our main character is 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 Jung, yeah. the fact that he himself doesn't quite end in the film on a on a definitive, you know, like on a positive note. On a positive note or, or on a note where his side, you know, has like a, a meaningful conclusion, like yeah. presented to the audience, that felt a other bit than off. in the text crawl where it said, and now he's considered the best yeah the, again yeah the film ends like that and then it gives us you know these very bleak sentence paragraphs about three other characters then his the long one it's like he's the best now and that especially rings a bit odd because in the parts where of the film where we you know we saw like the psychoanalysis thing with his wife yeah uh, the all the conversations with freud where they were analyzing dreams and mm. like 
those were really great when they were talking about their dreams and picking out specific things and like linking them to oh real life might be this and Freud refusing to talk about his <laughs> yeah him refusing to talk about his and even outside of those there were moments where they talked about their theories and what they believed you know they constantly brought up Freud's uh, focus on the sexual stuff yeah um how Jung thinks there's got to be more to human psychology than just sexual stuff I feel like all of that is for a for a lay person watching this film that doesn't know about psychology, that could be a really good introduction, and that's why those parts rang really well. So the fact that the film kind of doesn't really reach a conclusion to that and just says, and Jung was the best. And that's where one of the faults of the movie falls to me with the, and Jung was the best at the end. I had a debate about this with my wife, Rachel, and I think... It's a bit hard because she is far more into the world of psychoanalysis and psychology and self-help and all that kind of stuff. So she kind of understands way more the real world benefits of Jung over Freud. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the film, I walked away from it going, oh, yeah, Freud may have been a little bit too obsessed with the sex angle, but I agreed with him. Yeah. More so than I ever did with what Jung was talking about. Because Jung was in this movie talking about in the movie people it was like oh but just spirituality and like all this stuff that i'm like but then freud will come in and be like but but we're trying to legitimize what we're doing as a field of science and if you come in with this mysticism that is untestable in any way shape or form yeah you're going to delegitimize what we're doing and i'm like i agree and at the end she agreed with him as well and i agreed with him and i don't know if that was the goal or not because at the end it's like and then Jung was the best I was like oh so I was supposed to agree with Jung the whole time but I never really agreed with his methods as strongly as the film seemingly wanted me to I know in the real world that his methods are considered the more but in the representation of the film and the conversations that they had they did show both of the perspectives as being flawed but I felt like I understood more firmly what Freud's point of view was and why his was the accepted one and what he was doing and why he was rejecting Jung's for the betterment of the field, while Jung would say, no, what you're doing is narrowing down the field. You're not expanding, you're not progressing the field. And he just kept saying that, but I don't... I didn't feel like the film showed us enough how that was a real-world thing that was happening, because to me, it was just like... But I understand why he doesn't want you to bring this mysticism bullshit into it if you're trying to legitimize this as a science. Yeah, there there came a point where Jung was saying something. I think it might have been the scene where he was hearing the bookcase. The bookcase, and about there's no such thing as coincidence. And yeah, yeah, yeah. You can feel. There came a point where I remember, like, oh yes, yes, yes. I think Jung was the one that came up with the idea of the collective unconsciousness, and I was waiting for the film to bring it up at some point, and it didn't. He brought up a different. And yeah, but then right near the end, someone just offhandedly mentions like, and Jung, blah blah blah, collective unconsciousness. Like, oh, wouldn't that have been an interesting thing to like establish, not just mention near the end? We're ragging on the movie a little bit. Let's go back to some positive aspects, if there are any. Mm -hmm. What did you think of Michael Fassbender in this movie? And what do you think of... What's your experience with him in general? Because we've done The Snowman. Yep. And we've talked on the pod about how it seems in recent years, whoever his agent is... And we had him on Assassin's Creed as well. That's right, yes. 
it seems like whoever is picking his movies are picking shit for him because it's if you look at his IMDb, it seems like it's been a little while since he was he's been in an acclaimed in an acclaimed movie or a movie where you could say that's a genuinely good movie. More failures, um, crap or flops. But what do you think of him in this and think of him in general? Because even in those, we liked Michael Fassbender, but we're yeah. just like, this fucking movie. Yeah, so I definitely, I think, same as you, first saw him in... Un- uh, Inglorious Bastards. Inglorious Bastards, yeah, I almost said Unglorious. <laughs> um, I think I f- first became aware of him as what he looks like and what his name is when I saw Prometheus. And then mm. when I rewatched Inglorious Bastards, I was like, oh, Michael Fassbender. So this is where I probably first saw him. And yeah, the few times I've ever seen him in a film, which are probably the four we've just mentioned, he always has stuck out as, yeah, this guy is a good actor. He's Magneto, too. He's the younger Magneto. Was he in First Class? Yeah. I've seen that one. So, yeah, yeah. okay. I've seen him in that as well. Um, yeah, he he's a good performer. But like you said, a lot of the films that he's done are not that great. And I guess that kind of... It's a big dissonance when you have a great guy do great things. I forget, you haven't in... seen 12 Years a Slave? No, I haven't. Have you? Um, I've seen some of it, and he's like a he's the piece of shit racist, and he's fucking right. amazing in it. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, he's... I guess in recent years, whenever I hear, oh, he's in a film, it's like he's probably good in it, but is the film good? No, is <laughs> the answer. Mm. I love him as an actor. I would really recommend Shame. The mm-hmm. film Shame, in which he's got a sex addiction problem. It's a r- really brutal film, and he's he's it's one of the greatest performances of any actor's career. And it's one of those things where is that is is he one of those actors in which maybe? And I'm not saying Shame is it, but to me it is. Is he one of those actors that has fallen into that unfortunate trap of they've reached their artistic peak? with the performance and everything else is just like a slow spiral downwards because we've seen that happen with some other actors in in our lifetimes in which they do like a really great project and then it's just like a slow spiral down the toilet into where you just look at them and go oh okay they're around I guess like look what's happened to some legends like John Travolta Bruce Willis but they're like oh they're older and they're getting less work and they haven't do shit and they've made, like, bad movies. But, like, Michael Fassman's not that old of a guy. And I love him in this movie. And I still find the movie to be a decent movie. I would still categorize this as a good movie. But I find him a very frustrating actor. Because I love him in stuff like Shame. And I love him in Inglourious Bastards. And I think he's a charming dude. A very attractive man as well. That goes a long way. He is a shapeshifter. Like, I forget that he's the guy in Prometheus. Mm. I forget that he's the best part of that movie. Yeah, for sure. It's what I re- pretty much all I remember other than, like, the embarrassing because stuff. Because to me, he, he completely transforms into that role. Yeah. But I don't know what he's doing. And when I watch a movie like this, I get a little upset because I'm thinking, like, even though I don't think this is the most perfect movie, there's definitely problems I've been pointing out and we will point out. I go, I wish you would do more movies like this instead of The Snowman, which, of course, it brings us joy. The Snowman's like a piece of trash. If, look, if it's so bad, it's good. We're going to enjoy that, but just bad. But, like, <laughs> X-Men, Apocalypse, like the X-Men movie, it's just... So I do get, like, a weird retroactive, like... Ugh. 
oh, this is kind of a layer of depressing because you're watching him do something artistically fulfilling in this and you're like, oh, but he is not doing that anymore. Uh, and maybe he will again, hopefully, but whoever is in charge of his uh, movie choices at recent needs to get, the, get their ass into gear. Um, Kira Knightley is in the movie. Mm-hmm. She's an actress we've had on before, and we've talked about. We've we've we like Kira Knightley. Yes, she's she's talented. Uh, mm-hmm. She likes period pieces, and she likes teeth acting. We've also pointed out. She does that times a million in this movie. Were you on board for her performance in this movie or not? I uh, it took me a little bit to get into, and I really emphasize that just a little bit. It it took me, you know, maybe. To when she was more sane? <laughs> no, I mean, before that, I'd say maybe where the scene where we discovered, you know, her past trauma. Mm-hmm. By that point, I became used to it and I was fine with her. I thought it was very good. Um, I understand people's objections to it and they're thinking it's over the top, but uh, she added some much-needed life to the movie. And maybe that's also why I give it a different kind of grading on the curve, because Michael Fassbender is good, but he's playing a stuffy guy who wears glasses and in his three-piece suits next to guy who's also stuffy and wears suits, and they just talk about things. Like, she's the one with emotions. Yeah. Who emotes throughout the movie. Maybe too much, but it's like, fuck, somebody has to. She's the main character who's a patient at some point, yeah. I found her to be very enjoyable in the movie. Uh, I felt for her to the point in which when the epilogue happened and we found out her story and what happened to her, it crystallized in my brain. I go, why was this movie not about her? I would rather have watched the story from her point of view than from Jung's point of view. To me, I, I find her in this movie, a very tragic character with obviously lots of past tragedies, but the idea of this woman who, you know, is a mental patient and she gets rehabilitated and she manages to manage her her way to be a psychologist and all of that in her own right and gain the respect of her peers who are male and she's a woman and she's wanted to do the field of child psychology, which seems to be frowned upon in these times. And then she, you know... World War Two happens. To, I was thinking, wow, that sounds like a far more interesting movie to me than Jung is a guy who's like, mm, whoopsie, cheated on my wife, and now I feel bad because it affects my viewpoints and my own ideology of psychology. And I'm like, okay. What do you think of that statement that I'm making here? Yeah, I'm, I'm even seeing in my head almost like a book-ending kind of thing, because the film begins on her being dragged somewhere, and the yeah. epilogue indicates that you know she was forced somewhere, and something happened against her will. You know, she was shot dead. Yeah. Yeah, it, it almost seems like, yeah, there is a whole story that we could have told just following her. Um, and, and like you said, this film, because it jumps around to different plot lines, there are times where you don't see her for a little bit, yeah, yeah. and she comes back in, and she's fairly prominent pregnant yeah pregnant and has kids off screen and a and marriage um but yeah the film just keeps cutting back to to the the two male leads and letters between them things like that yeah and it's one of those things where you know again i don't know much about the real life guy but let's just go off the time period 
it's one of those movies too where it's like, oh, don't you kind of feel sorry for this rich white guy who's like a respected psychologist for cheating on his wife willingly with a patient of his and the fact that he does that compromises her mental state and it's like no no I should feel sorry for the wife and for the and the patient but it's like oh but don't you feel sorry for him because now it's kind of making Freud look at him disrespectfully and I'm like I remember I don't I don't though like as great as Michael Fassbender is like I was I was there, but I, a part of me was just like, oh, but if you, I, I wonder if you told this movie from her perspective and you have that moment where she's like crying over the letter that Freud responds with by being like, well, I think he's a good guy. Fuck you. And then that scene, and I'm thinking, if this was a movie from her perspective, this would be so much more impactful to me because you could see, oh, he's just a man of the times who's just cold and, you know, he's a dick. But in, since we're in his perspective so thoroughly... I'm just, you're not supposed to think that, but I can't help but think that because I, I have my own values, hmm. my own moral system in real world. I'm a married guy. I'm not good. So I think about this and I go, and the time period. Oh, I'm sure Jung wasn't just some innocent boy who just somewhat accidentally whoopsie and he like has another mistress at the end of the movie and they're treating it like, oh, that isn't such a big deal. And maybe if the film... Had the wife be a character as well? She's not a fucking character. She's just here to let you know that he's a good man. There actually, yeah, there actually was a point in the film where you know they they, they had the whole thing about he's cheating on his wife, and he gives an explanation about how messed up it is that like you know he's trying to be loyal, mm. but he's also doing this thing. Is it right? Is it wrong? And I was thinking like you know Ryan and Rachel are watching this. They're married. They probably have a more you know. Yeah. Firm point to make there. Um, the thing that I want to bring up with what you just said was there was a point in the film where basically this string of scenes begins with um, Jung writing a letter to to Freud mentioning like. <laughs> Sorry, just, I have to laugh at the at the idea of you could we could literally that could change the topic and say it started with Jung writing a letter to Freud. <laughs> Because that's like every sequence in this movie is. Well, you see, why he got stabbed in the face was, you see, Jung wrote a letter to Freud, and Freud wrote a letter to her, and then she came in. And like, You know, and literally, yeah, those... Literally, that's literally what happened. I was going to go into more detail about what was in the letter, but th- those are the three things that happened immediately. <laughs> so it's the, it's the part where the letter that Jung writes to Freud is the one where he mentions, like, nothing happened between us, and then it's the one that may, mm. uh, Freud wrote a letter to her... And then she came up to Jung and said, like, hey, you need to tell him the truth. Because initially she wrote a letter to Freud, then Freud wrote a letter to him, he wrote a letter back to Freud, Freud wrote a letter to her, then she physically... See how that went? This is a movie, by those the way. Fir- those first three ones, though, I forgot about, so thank yeah. you for that. But anyway, the, the whole point I'm trying to get at is is that the, the things you just said happened, then it follows up on, like, hey, you need to tell Freud the truth because it's, you know, it's hurting me. I'm not blackmailing you. And then he does it. Freud writes an apology letter to her. The film moves on with them going on a cruise or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And it's a sequence of scenes that lasts, you know, maybe five, ten minutes. Yeah. And like I said before, because this is a biopic, it is giving you, you know, the biographical historical account of you know how would this would have happened if this is accurate to history and the fact that it happens without really any major side being taken without really much 
you know, dramatic conflict going on beyond just like, hey, jumping through the steps, this is what happens, then this, then this, then this. It goes back to what I was saying earlier about highlighting the bio, the biopic nature of this and how it just feels like, okay, well, it has to go through all these motions to get somewhere else. So again, yeah. like, oh, that's interesting. What happens next? Oh, they're on a cruise now. I remember the point where in the scene where she was like, you know, write him a letter, tell him the truth. And he's like, okay. Tell I- him the truth. <laughs> <laughs> yes. She turned into Will Smith for a second. Is that film also a biopic? Yeah. I'll recommend that next. Concussion. <laughs> Concussion. Um, yeah, the point I'm getting at here is... Fuck, Will Smith distracted me for a second. <laughs> the point I'm getting at is... but Yes, when he said that he's going to write the letter and tell the truth, I just had this feeling in my head. This was before I realised, you know, the whole biopic highlight thing. That he won't do it. That No, no, that he will do it, but there will be... Consequences. Like, no immediate consequence. Like, he will still be working... He will still be on a respectful relationship with Freud. Eventually, it does get revealed that, you know, that was the moment that Freud turned Lost against... his respect. Yeah. yeah, but at the time when it happens, and it just happens so casually and moves on and doesn't get brought up yeah. for another, like, you know, 20 minutes, I just felt like that's going to happen, and then it did, and that's what made me realise this whole thing is just, you know, point after point. I wish that there was more small touches that tell us a story. My favourite moment in the movie... My absolute favourite moment in the movie, and this is still, like, obvious. We get introduced to the fact that Freud is like, oh, well, raising a family is difficult. I have six kids, like, it's hard, and I'm, like, the most well-respected psychologist in all the world, but I'm still not, like, supremely rich. And Jung is like, oh, I'm uh, my, my wife is, like, fucking loaded, so I'm good forever type of deal. And you have that moment when they're on the boat and they separate off because he's like, oh, my wife, with her supreme amount of money, booked me the first class thing. And just Viggo Mortensen's, like, absolute disdain and disgust and, like, Michael Fassbender's, like, standing higher than him and, like, just little touches like that. And you could tell they physically separate off at that point and it's like, he's rich, he's poorer. And you see that's like visual storytelling as well as just a narratively beating in that they are not on the same page. They're from two different worlds, two different viewpoints. And this is where they are no longer together and they separate off from themselves. And then the next scene is like, I'm not telling you my dream because I don't want to compromise my authority. And I just, I like that. And I wish the movie was filled with more of those kind of things. Because Cronenberg's really good at that kind of stuff. But, yeah, I don't know. It's one of those ones where, too, it's like, I loved Freud in the movie. But then a part of me was like, would this movie have been better if Freud wasn't in it? And it was just a story about this guy cheating on his wife with his patient. And all the turmoil of that. Because that's what I thought the, that's what the movie feels like it's going to be about, right? Like, he cheats on his wife and family with his patient. Yeah, because up to that point, Kira Knight's character had received probably the most development of a character in the film. And you knew, oh, this is going to make her collapse. Yeah. It's called a dangerous method. You're thinking, oh, right, this is where the dangerous part... But no, she has a little bit of a breakdown, but then, you know, she still succeeds in life. And again, again, I know this is a true story, but... If it was focused in on maybe that, and Fro- but then it was like, oh, but it's actually a relationship about him and Freud, and her too, and it's like, oh, 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 okay, I, I don't know, like, I kind of wish it was 
either tell the story from her perspective, tell the story of him and her, tell the story of him and Freud. But it's like, it's trying to do all of those at the same time, whilst also still just being scenes of people talking about the field of psychology and not much else. One of the most egregious things I felt in the movie was, and again, this could have happened in real life, but I'm talking about the movie, you have a character exist solely to let um, Jung know it's okay to cheat on his wife, which is like the crazy guy that Freud sends to him, like the other psychologist. And he only exists in the movie to just let him know, hey, fucking someone else is good, man. And that's what makes him go off and get compromised and it's like and that character leaves and then they're like oh and he died hungry yeah the, in the streets and it's like okay but why was he in the fucking movie that one, that oh it's one to one... convince him to cheat on his wife maybe that happened in real life but it's like he only existed for that purpose and it's like could you not have incorporated any other character to do this or Jung himself have something it was especially baffling because that guy's you know where is he now thing in the credits gave no context at all to what he was doing. It was just, he starved to death in Berlin. Yeah. What was he doing in Berlin? What did he do after he ran away from the institution? Like, Well, he pretended that he was dead in the first place, remember? He was like, yeah, tell yeah. my dad I'm dead. <laughs> yeah, but, but it was just, yeah. Oh, remember this character that was in a brief portion of the film? For some reason? Yeah. He, he starved to death. Oh, was he, was he like, destitute or something? Like, uh, who He knows? starved to death. Jung's happy. <laughs> like, and again... I find the movie frustrating because it's like, okay, you're trying to be, like, non-objective and say we should be morally reprehensible, uh, like, feel moral reprehension against Jung for cheating on his wife who loves him, yet it seems like it implicates that his wife knows about what's happening, mm-hmm. yet it doesn't actually outright say that, but it implies it. At least I got that implication. Oh, well, the, she... the whole psychoanalysis scene had, a, like, her doubts. Basically yeah, exactly. Pointed out by the two main characters. And then you have the thing of, well, well, he is a rich guy. Which, from just an average viewer perspective, puts distance between us mm. and gives us some level of, like, hatred towards him. Because inherently, you hear... And the way the film frames it, it's supposed to be like another notch against Jung. Yeah, a little st- step down below it because he married into money, but the lifestyle. But that he's makes living, it yeah. worse. Yeah. As well, because, well, for me, okay. So what makes it worse for me is, it's like it makes it worse for me in terms of, oh, it's not even like all of this work he's doing is the thing that makes him rich. It's just he happened to marry rich and he can just do whatever he wants. Right. And thus, him treating his wife like shit makes it even worse mm-hmm. for me for for liking this or like fe- my feelings towards this character. Right? Right. This is a guy who gets to travel to America and propel his field, but it's all paid for by his wife, who he's cheating on. Yeah. And making sure that she looks after the kids back home. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, these all things, it's like, okay, if this is a m- more objective film, it's taking a step back and going, look at all these bad things about uh, Jung, but also, here are these positive things about him. But then the film will stop and say, you're a good man. To make the dramatic irony happen. But also, the film does want me to be on his side? Because I don't feel like the film was dare at all that damning of him. It kind of felt like, oh, he had a nervous breakdown. This was a little bit of a dark chapter in his life. I didn't feel like 
the film chose if it wanted to be morally, um, if it wanted to have morals or not about the characters within it. Because you can have films that just take a step back and say, look, this is it. Like, we talked about that with Christine, right? Yeah. In the film Christine, yeah, you are feeling very sorry for her, but the film wasn't afraid to show you these negative aspects, the ugly aspects, the... The, 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 how she brought this all onto herself in some aspect, in some ways. It didn't feel like it was uh, preaching to you. But then there are those things where you want the film to go, look at this, this was wrong. Mm-hmm. This was bad. Um, and it, I, I feel like this didn't want to take a step in either or and kind of wanted to have it always. And I just went, am I supposed to like him or not? What do you think? Yeah, like I said, the, the film doesn't take a side, and our main character doesn't quite feel finished or concluded. He, he has the Godfather 2 ending, and that's it. And it worked in Godfather 2 because we understood what we were supposed to feel about him yeah. by the end of it, and we understood that he, he fell into supreme darkness and it was upsetting because we had seen where he started and how he didn't want to be there Mm -hmm. but in this it's like yeah well i guess he didn't want to be in the location he's at at the end of the movie either but i i don't know i felt like there's just too many random things thrown into this movie and yet it's a movie where you could describe it as not much happens at all yeah isn't that a weird thing to think about that it's like a movie where there's too much stuff in there, but also nothing that interesting happens. I feel like I don't know if I'd be more or less confused if that you know that epilogue text about all the characters, what happened to them afterwards, were there. Because I feel like if it wasn't there, then we'd be focusing on like, okay, so what is the ending saying? But the fact that the ending literally has words saying something that clashes with what we just watched in a way. It just it makes it even more confusing. You know, you know what film did this so much better? Mm-hmm. Ed Wood. Ed Wood had its little post thing where it's like, this is what happened, and it was like reminding you of like the sadness of real life, while this was a movie that was like embellishing things and like having a very joyful look. Yet that film would also remind you constantly that the real world problems just keep snapping through to, like, the idealized version of the story. Yeah. Like, Bela Lugosi's heroin addiction, right? Or And, like, uh, 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 Sarah Jessica Parker's character in that movie. It always had, look at this idealized version, but also these dark things keep just keep popping up, and they're like, no, stop that. And then the little post-credit thing will be like, little little thing will be like, oh, and he fell into alcoholism, and he was a loser, and everyone hated him, and he died penniless. And you're like, yeah, that makes sense. But it's also, like, bittersweet because the movie ends with, like, this dramatic, like, let's drive to Vegas and get married. It's like the car, But it's raining and the car seat won't go up. It will dry off by the time we get there. Like, it's very, like, idealized and over the top. But it works in that movie. Here, it's just, like, it's very dry, very by the numbers. Here's the procedural, like, very sterile. And yet it... It does feel like, I just wish you would decide what you wanted me to to truly feel. Do you want me to feel morally reprehensed by this man? Do you want me to look at this in a fully detached way? Do you want it to be like Christine, in which I feel like I'm fully there with the character, even for the ugly parts? And it's weird, because it's a well-made movie, well-shot, well-edited, 
There was no glaring bad things, but I think it's just the structure of the script overall mm. that uh, that leave me me lacking. Because again, Viggo Mortensen, great as Freud, but I don't know if he needed to be here for this story. Yeah, and again, they were interesting throughout that things that happened throughout and were talked about throughout that keeps you in, like you're watching it, you want to see where it goes. But then when it ends, it's like, oh, what was that journey? Do you think... Mm, with a movie like this, mm-hmm. you know, it's based on a true story type of deal. Do you think... Mm, how do I phrase this? The wife's not a character. Is that a problem? Or was she not needing to be a character? It felt to me like, again, I don't know the full personal life story of Carl Jung or anything like that. Yeah. The fact that she felt a little bit detached, a little bit, the fact that she felt detached from the main focus of the film, Mm. it reminds me of, to bring up a couple of films that we've done before, you know, Ed Wood, he had that first girlfriend or or wife. Sarah Jessica Parker. Yeah, that's right. Yes, um, Raging Bull. He had the main character had that you know first wife. Yeah. Uh, in films like those where you don't really get to know them that the less so with Ed Wood, but you don't get to know them as much as the main character and their mm. next love interest. The fact that you don't get to know them as much kind of leads you to that idea of like, okay, well they're not going to be around for much. So because I didn't know the story of Jung. I was getting that impression here and thinking like, okay, well, he's going to, you know, like divorce her or something's going to happen and she's not going to be around for what we watch in the film. Mm. But she is his wife the entire time. Right. She up has to, kids. She has kids with he, him. His loyalty, faithfulness to her is a huge aspect in the guilt parts of he his life. He respects her as a person, seemingly, like her values and her yeah. opinions he, and her money. The fact that... you the money. The fact that she's there, that he has faith towards her, loyalty towards her, you know, quite, despite what he does. Yeah. She's important, but she feels like those first... Especially, the, let's go with the Raging Bull one. She feels like that first wife in the sense of like, okay, well, we're not going to get to know you that well because you're not going to be around for much. But in Raging Bull and even in Ed Wood, since those were also character study movies based on real people who were despicable and or tragic, those ca- wives characters or those girlfriend characters served in that story in those movies as warnings of our main characters' negative aspects of themselves that are being left unchecked because those were the people who were saying, here they are, you need to check on this, and then they get left by the wayside. And someone else gets swept in into the magic of their persona and then get crushed by it when they realize that they're not what they seem to be and what the original partner saw, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. In this... We never get anything of her as a character. Like, Sarah Jessica Parker, as small as she is in that Ed Wood movie, we got her interiority. We got her her drives, her desires. She's in the movie, in that movie, as much as the wife is in this. And we understand why she leaves at the end. We understand the first wife in Raging Bull, even though she's in, like, two scenes. Two or three scenes. We understand... That because also we have a clearer understanding of the interiority of our main characters... Raging Bull, Jake LaMotta is a very quiet, shut-off guy, just like Jung is in this movie. Yet I felt like I knew who he was way more. And I knew what the film thought of him 
way more than I do th- th- that this film does yeah. of its main character and the wife. I I got frustrated because I was looking at going, why isn't she in the movie? And I think the answer to me is one, maybe the real life woman was not at all interesting enough for them to make as a character, which is unfortunate because it's still a film. There's still has embellishments and dramatized scenes that didn't actually happen in real life. So you could make her a character if you felt like it. But I think it's because if she was a character in the movie, they would have to figure out a way for it to be less morally wrong for us, the audience, to see him cheat on her. Like play up her negative aspects. Yeah, you'd have to make her this terrible screeching harpy woman or like a bad person to make it more justifiable. And or if you don't do that, it makes us like him less. Yeah. And again, I feel like the film didn't know or didn't communicate, didn't fall hard enough on did it want us to like him or not. Because in Raging Bull, I didn't like Jake LaMotta. But that was the point, right? Yeah. I didn't like him. I felt sorry for everyone around him, including his shitty brother. In this, it's like, am I supposed to feel sad for him at the end? I don't know. I don't think I do. But there's these aspects where it's like, oh, the film's manipulating me in these ways, and I'm noticing that it's doing that. Like, the absence of the wife and his family is very clear to me uh, uh, to show us... You could say, oh, but it's showing you that he's absent from his wife and his family. He's spending so much time. Yeah, I get that. I do. But to me, it, it more demonstrated the point of the filmmaking was saying, we are not showing you them because if we did, it would remind you of what he's doing is wrong, not just to you as a viewer, but to him as a character. Because he does seem in to believe in monogamy in some way, shape, or form at one point in his life. And if you had them be there, it would be a constant reminder to the audience that he's betraying his own values. Which could have been interesting. But at the same time, it's also like, if you have them there, it's reminding us, the audience, that he's a, just a piece of shit. And yeah. that this woman doesn't deserve this behavior and doesn't deserve this guy leeching off of her. And does the film even want us having this discussion? No. Exactly. I don't think... I think it wants you to keep talking about Freud. Yeah, it's like, forget the wife exists, forgets the wife Talk about Freud. Yeah. Talk about Freud for for the whole fucking review because Viggo Monson did a really great job. Yeah, he did. But these are the things I kept thinking of when I kept returning back to this movie, just going like, where where is she? Or why is this guy here just to tell him it's okay to fucking cheat on his wife? You know, like... I remember... No, well, I don't remember. I, I feel like there was some point in the film where... Either f- either Jung or someone he was talking to gave a justification for, you know, oh, the relationship you're having with the Russian girl, Kira Knightley, is, is fine. Mm. And even I was just thinking to myself, like, this isn't what his wife signed on for, though. No. This is justifying it for him. Yeah, yeah. And again, that could work if the film was leaning heavier into the toxic masculine attitude of the times... But then we're supposed to not feel that way so many times in the movie, going, oh, but he's such a sweet, sensitive soul. Look, he's crying into Kira Knightley's lap. Yeah, that scene. Yeah, that scene. Mm. And it's just like... Uh... And again, we're taking it from his perspective. You have all these things, and it is... Not to get too preachy, I'm already kind of preaching, but it does really feel like, oh, I feel sorry for 
the rich white guy with his first world problems, not the the struggling woman who is going to have to struggle against her own mental illnesses, but also the sexist field that she's entering into, and she's Jewish as well, like with Keira Knightley, or just even his wife. Because we need to feel sorry for the guy with the spectacles. And we need to feel sorry that the other guy with the cigar doesn't like him very much. And then we need to have that really weirdly edited scene in which it looks like Freud has died, and then it hard cuts to him just sitting in a chair years later, saying that their friendship has fallen apart. That was weird. That was, yeah, the way that that scene ended, he collapses, (laughs) Jung goes up and puts him in his arms, and then Freud says something in a not-so-weak voice. About death being great. (laughs) About... I didn't even remember what it was. Maybe it was it's about like, death. It was about something like this is what death and is. And then it hard cut and it was like this a weird, comedy cut. Yeah, it, and it was this weird moment of like if he didn't say that line, if we just cut straight from like Jung's concerned face to to this whatever we're looking at now, it would have this feeling of like oh, he just died. But the fact that he said that line is like, oh, well, they wouldn't just ha- kill him off after that, but the actions of the scene... It didn't even communicate to me that in that scene, Jung seeing Freud literally fall made the disruption and disillusionment of their friendship hit all the harder because now he does see him as like this weak, frail, old fool. It's not even like that happened in the movie. It just kind of feels like it came out of nowhere because maybe historically it happened one time. That whole scene, yeah, was... Kind of confusing. Like it, it begins with like a meeting has just ended and people are leaving, while yeah, our yeah. two main characters are talking to each other from opposite ends of the room, and all the people in that scene, I couldn't tell if they were paying attention to that conversation. Like some of them were obviously not. Some of them were looking in directions where it wasn't clear what they were looking at. So it's like, oh, are they gonna like, you know, kind of participate in this scene and like you know mm. like pay attention to like one side and the next and maybe through their actions indicate like. What's going on? My general viewpoint on that was they were all aware that these are two men that hate each other and they're kind of observing when it will shoot off. Mm. Because it was well known at that point that the only times they're going to be civil to one another is at these type of psychology events. Yeah. And I guess the other thing to mention, this I guess this is more personal, but maybe more people feel this. I think that was the only time where I had no idea what the fuck they were talking about. <laughs> they were mentioning, like, Egyptian names, and I'm like, I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It did lose me at certain points. I think it's a very flawed movie. I think it is well acted, well directed, but it has some serious writing problems and structural problems and uh, themes uh uh, it all falls apart in that regard. Like, David Cronenberg makes a fine-looking movie. Michael Fassbender does a really good job of a man internalizing a lot of issues going on, as does Fro- as does Viggo Munson, as Freud does really embody that guy. But it's, And Keira Knightley jutting out a jaw and, like, going from one extreme to the other and, uh, and the accents and all that. Like, yeah, they do a good job with that, but I feel like... There's just a lot of problems with this story being told, and that many times throughout it, I wish that we were getting told this exact same story, from, but from different perspectives, because the perspectives we were being told it from, I felt, were dull, confusing, or misjudged. Um, 
because even in Raging Bull, right, we keep going back to that for some reason, but uh, in Raging Bull, not the whole entire film was just from Jake LaMarta's perspective. You got it from other characters' perspectives because he is such an internalized guy. But also with Christine, the movie we covered last week, we got that movie primarily from her perspective. But the film made us understand very clearly what her perspective was. In this, Jung, he's a guy who really likes psychology, but not all of it. And he has his viewpoints on it. I don't fully understand what all of it, like his ideology by the end of the movie and why it's better than Freud's ideology and he just wants to cheat on his wife but also he doesn't and it's like, okay yeah most of the film gives you a decent introduction to his stuff like you see one scene or well, you see multiple scenes of him doing multiple things but like the psychoanalysis with the the machine and like the hands on the thing mm. like, Annoying question to ask, but is this one of those stories that could have been better suited as a documentary, a Talking Heads documentary in which they're just historians and people in the psychoanalytic field talking about these three legends um, and how they interacted and disagreed and all of that, rather than this dramatized version with actors living breathing on the screen telling communicating to you that you should feel for each one of them um if the documentary was more focused on the intellectual part of it you know the theories and psychology maybe in terms of the the human relationships the drama maybe not as much i don't know i sometimes find that stuff very fascinating though in a documentary and if you combine the two of them together in a compelling way, yeah, I think it could have been better suited to that. I, I don't know if... I can't remember if Cronenberg's done any documentaries. I think he's more of just feature film kind of guy. Um, yeah. Do you recommend this? Um, this is one of those ones where if you watch it, you will be carried through it with interest. Um, yeah. If you are the type of person who you really need a solid conclusion to say a film was worth it, then I would say proceed with caution. It's it's this really weird middle ground, I think. I think you'll be fine if you watch it, so I'll, I'll lean yes on recommendation. Um, I think there's better films. Oh, there's definitely better films, yeah. Of this variety. And I'm sure that there's probably a better film about Freud out there, and I'm sure there's probably a better film about Jung. There's better Cronenberg movies. Watch Dead Ringers. That's a great film. Uh, I don't recommend this. I, I, maybe, I would, uh, maybe I'll say I don't recommend a revisit. If you liked it the first time, maybe you'll like it again, but I didn't. I really walked into this being like, oh man, I love that movie. I'm really looking forward to this. Ah, to see Michael Fassbender in his prime again. Like, ah, and I walked Mm. out of it being like, ah, I had a lot of issues with this movie and I didn't really enjoy it like I did the first time. I think the lack of knowledge of what the film was, was what carried me the first time mm. enough to look over these flaws that I'm now seeing. Evidently, it didn't work that well, strong enough for you, but you also had a little bit more of an understanding of what the people, who the people were and some of the events than I did walking in. 
Like, I, I think you understand Jung stuff way more than I do still. And I've just watched a movie about Jung. <laughs> I think, I think, yeah, I, when I think of psychology classes and stuff, I the Freud stuff definitely sticks in my head more. And I just remember that Jung is a thing, but I don't quite remember what his stuff was. Again, it was like so you, pa- you throwing out terminology in this episode. I'm like, I don't know, I don't remember <laughs> that. I don't know that. Do they collective unconsciousness that? and yeah. stuff? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's that's uh, a dangerous method. I would still say it's a good movie, but a flawed movie. And I can see why it has an averaging, like a middling rating, like yeah. it's like six point two or six point four or something I, like I, that. I, I'm like, yep, yeah, that seems about right. I guess a common ground between our things is like you really enjoyed it the first time through, and I've only watched it once, and I'm leaning yes. So mm. if you haven't seen the film watch it once and you'll be all right but if you have seen it and think you want to watch it again don't well bartek you're recommending the movie for next episode for everyone to make sure to check out in the interim what are you recommending yes you definitely have to watch it because it's totally an obscure film i'm recommending ah you're (laughs) finally giving us the french afrikaans movie (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, no, still can't find subtitles for that. Um, yes, it is my non-American one, but similar to previous times, it's a Warner Brothers film, so it's partly American, but not yeah, really. Yeah. Um, it's a film that you and I have both seen before, and we've actually talked about it a little bit on and off the pod with like mm. slightly differing views. Um, so I think it might be interesting to actually talk about it you know, on an episode, probably. Yeah. Um, and it is directed by someone who we did a film of a couple of months ago uh mm-hmm. uh what's his name uh caron uh, what's his name roma guy um the alfonso. film alfonso caron yes um and it is part of a franchise we've talked about a fair bit i'm recommending harry potter and the prisoner of azkaban <sighs> wow everybody did you know alfonso caron um did a an ad for an uh, I've watched the YMS video if that's what you're autos- talking about. <laughs> Autism speaks or yeah. whatever. <laughs> so we could talk about that next week. Sure. <sighs> Prisoner of Azkaban. Um yeah, we can talk about how I'm right that JK is problematic again. <laughs> Every time we've ever interacted with Harry Potter on the pod, I bring up I think JK Rowling is a piece of shit. And then someone would tell me, no, Ryan, you're reading far too much into that. And now we're at that point where it's been literal years of me saying this. And now we're at the point where most people are like, oh, yeah, she's a piece of shit. So will this be the first time we'll have an episode in which we're in that time zone now? I hope so. I guess, yeah. Isn't that weird? I, I, mo- I mostly picked it for the film itself, but if we get into the franchise as a whole and the person behind it, then that'll be part of it. Well, I mean, it'll have to come up, won't it? Yeah. Well, watch that, people. I'm sure you've missed that obscure indie film. Yeah, I'll just let everyone know. It's from 2004. Thank you. It's not any other year's Prisoner of Azkaban. It's that year's Prisoner There's no Azkaban. different cuts of it, right? They all just had one cut each of the Harry Potter films. There's I'd no am- extended am- ones. I'd imagine, yeah. I can't remember when that started to change with these type of movies. You know what I'm talking about? There was like, in the recent years, where it's like, the definitive cut of mm. Zack Snyder's Batman v Superman. Like, we live in that age now where I, I feel like I have to ask with these franchise things. It's like, 
Is there a different cut of this or not? Because it's growing, tiring me gro- out. Yeah, growing up, the concept of different cuts seemed very foreign to me, so I wouldn't really know. Yeah. Oh, well, that's it. Uh, Bartek, a pleasure, as usual, talking uh, films with you. Yeah, this uh, is a good one. It was an interesting one to talk about. Uh, very much enjoyed the recommendation for it. it. It definitely got me thinking and got us discussing. If people want to recommend a movie to us, Bartek, or just interact with us in general, where can be people do so? Yes, any of the following places I mentioned, you can do that. We are on uh, various social medias. We're on Twitter. Look up Spit and Polish Presents. We've got a Facebook page by the same name. We have our YouTube channel. You can... I don't know. I can't remember if you have private messages there, but you can write us a comment. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, if you want to be more direct, an email address, spitandpolished at gmail.com. Yeah. Uh, questions, comments... Queries, uh, concerns. Concerns, recommendations. Every three episodes of Pictures Powwow, we have a listening people's choice, which that's what this episode was. Everything goes on the list. We eventually get around to things. Well, yeah, our list is actually getting... Our list is actually pretty short at the moment. Oh. We kind of ploughed through a lot of them. Uh, yeah, look, when I was looking at them... Um, after watching the movie last night, I was like, oh, actually, we, we actually don't have as much now. We've, we've, we've harvested the field, so it'll be good to get some again. Yeah, you don't have to think too Plant hard about seeds. it. Yeah, don't think, you don't have to think too hard about it. Just give us something of like, oh, that could be interesting. Yeah. It could be interesting is a good enough reason. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's time to end this episode, Bartek, with one question for you. Yes. You're smiling, but I think this is a left field question. No, it's because I don't know what you're going to ask, but it's going to be something I recognize the reason why you're asking. Would this film have been better if Paul Giamatti was Freud? <laughs> well, yes. What's <laughs> what, what's the what's the debate? Is is this a common thing on the internet of people like, no, this film wouldn't be better. Well, would Paul it have G- been better if he kept his natural American accent or tried to do some <laughs> fake German accent? Meanwhile, Michael Fassbender is keeping his... British accent, and yet Kira Knightley's doing a Russian accent, and yet every other German character speaking I wanna, German I hear... accents. But I want to hear Paul Giamatti be like, "Yeah, show your unconscious mind, man." I want to hear Paul Giamatti say, "Yeah, don't trust the Aryans." <laughs> We're Jews. <laughs> you can tell by my name, Giamatti. <laughs> <laughs>